You are listening to Sparking Wholeness with Erin Carey, where we talk about all things related to nutrition for mind, body, and soul. Are you ready? Let's do this. Welcome everybody to Sparking Wholeness. This is Erin Carey. I cannot wait to introduce you to my guest today. My guest is Christina Veselek. She is the founder and director of the Academy for Addiction and Mental Health Nutrition, which teaches practitioners around the world how to use diet along with amino amino acid and nutrient therapy to help prevent cravings and recurrent use by restoring neurotransmitter function and keeping blood sugar in balance. Yay. It's all the things that I love to talk about. She has been a licensed psychologist therapist working in the SUD treatment field since 1985 and a certified nutritionist specializing in mental health and addiction recovery since 1993. She has maintained a private practice as a psychotherapist and relapse prevention specialist and has always been drawn to working with people experiencing chronic relapse, committed to identifying and helping them overcome their blocks to their recovery. She moved to West Virginia from Colorado in 2019 and currently provides online relapse prevention recovery coaching and mental health nutrition to a wide variety of clients through her online clinic, Garden Gate Counseling and Consultation. She also has recently founded Eating Protein Saves Lives, Inc., which has the goal of promoting this life-saving, oh my goodness, my words are getting tangled, this (laughs) life-saving information throughout the country through grassroots messaging and billboards. Christina is committed to staying abreast of the rapidly growing science of orthomolecular and nutritional psychiatry and is passionate about sharing her knowledge with both the general public and professionals in the field of addiction recovery and mental health treatment. And I love this. This is why I read the whole thing, because I really want you guys to hear this. She believes that the time has come for nutrition to be part of the conversation in mental health and addiction treatment and recovery. That was a mouthful, but I really wanted everybody to understand who we are speaking with and why this is so important. So thank you so much for being on the show today. Oh, you are so welcome, Erin. And uh, I know that was a bit of a mouthful, but it's because I've been doing this for so long and I've experienced its efficacy in so many Mm -hmm. different areas that I'm just passionate, whether it be mental health or addiction recovery or just living life better. Yep. Oh, my goodness. Yes. Living life better. And I, I feel equally as passionate, which is why I'm really hoping that we don't run over on this conversation (laughs) because we both have seen that traditional mental health and addiction treatment, they've offered, they offer only medication as the option to address our disorders. And there are so many other options other than medication, which I try to preach on a regular basis, (laughs) but I'd love for you with your vast experience to share what that looks like. Well, the way I think about it, Erin, is feeding the brain Mm. what it needs to function optimally. You see, we don't think about this. So here's my motto. It's our brain's job to allow us to cope with stress gracefully. But to do that, it needs to be fed optimally. And have we fed our brains optimally today? And those of us who are practitioners have our clients fed their brains optimally today. You see, that's the real question, because unless we ask, we don't know. And for so many of us growing up in this culture, unless we're taught that what we eat actually matters to our emotional well-being, 
it's like, you know, maybe I can't be bothered to eat. Maybe I'll eat if I'm hungry and grab some potato chips. Maybe I'll eat with friends because it's fun. Maybe I'll feed my kids because I'm supposed to. But the fact that I'm actually supposed to eat protein every four hours so mm. that I function better and my brain functions better and I'm happy. Well, nobody's ever taught me that one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, and you mentioned protein. I think that's interesting. I just had my own protein break a little bit ago because <laughs> it's been a busy day for me with podcast recordings and protein. It's funny. I don't love protein. Like that's not my, if I was just going to eat what I wanted to eat, I would eat carbs and sugar. Truly. That's what I would eat because I think that's what my brain wants. Right. Which we can go right. into why, um, but I'm going to why I'm so excited. Yeah. But I mean, when I do notice the days that I don't eat enough protein until evening, my brain is foggy, doesn't feel right. I'm not functioning optimally right. and I'm just off. I, I see to my kids as well. Can you explain why, why protein is so important? <clears throat> yes. There's actually two reasons <clears throat> and they're connected, but they're different. Protein is made up out of amino acids. Amino acids are little molecules that when we digest and absorb them optimally, and some people have digestive issues, you know, let's just take go sideways for a minute, Erin. When we talk about protein, a lot of people say, you know, I know I should eat it, but when I do, my tummy aches. Mm. Or when I do, I feel really heavy. And I want to be vegetarian or vegan because I feel better not eating protein. Mm -hmm. Now, two or three years down the road, maybe they're not feeling so well and they're depressed and they're anxious and they're tired and, 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 but their tummy doesn't like protein. Why is this? Well, some of us just don't make enough hydrochloric acid. You know, blood type A and B don't make quite so many, so much hydrochloric acid, mm -hmm. do a little better on fruits and veggies, but still need protein. And I'll explain why in a minute. People with the disorder pyroluria, which depletes our zinc and B6, don't make enough hydrochloric acid, don't like protein, maybe even may have morning nausea, mm -hmm. right? Um, if this is you, anybody listening, if this is you, it's not that protein isn't good for you. It's just that you need to aid and support your digestion a little bit and bringing in hydrochloric acid, even bringing in some vinegar at the end of the meal, bringing in um, protein digestive enzymes, will make all the difference in the world to you. I promise. Okay, that said, when all of these lovely digestive enzymes break the protein down into amino acids, they go everywhere in our body doing all sorts of things. They make our muscle, they make our heart muscle, they make our nerves and our enzymes and our skin and our blood. Okay, so they go everywhere, creating and uh, maintaining the structure of our body, not so much the bones, but you know, all the muscles and everything else, all the tissues are made up out of amino acids, among other things. Well, some amino acids actually get into the brain and make our neurotransmitters, make our mood mediating chemicals. We don't do anything um, apart from our brain. 
so our brain mediates our feelings, our perceptions, our ability to learn and use skills, our even our ability to pray mm-hmm. is impacted by our brain chemicals. Mm-hmm. It's sort of the way our consciousness operates through these chemicals. And they're made up out of amino acids from protein in the presence of vitamins and minerals from our fruits and veggies. That's why we need them too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. But if we're not eating enough protein, the body's going to take those amino acids and use them to keep us alive. Right. To make our skin, to make our muscle, to keep our heart beating, to keep our blood flowing. Okay. That's going to keep us alive. If there's any left over, maybe they'll make it to our brain so we can sort of be happy or sort of function, but that's not our being's major concern. Our being's major concern is just staying alive. Yeah. So our brain gets second, you know, what's the leftovers. So we need to be eating enough so that there's lots and lots and lots of leftovers for our brain to function optimally. And this is one reason why we recommend a minimum of 60 to 80 grams of protein a day for most people. And then, you know, um, if you're, if you're bigger, if you're huskier, if you've got more muscle, if you're working out, if you're doing heavy labor, then you need much, much more. And some people need much, much more anyway, because we're all a little different. So what I'm recommending is the bare minimum of what most people need. The second reason why we want to be eating protein throughout the day is to keep our blood sugar absolutely stable. So protein digests slowly, blood sugar rises slowly, and therefore everything stays stable throughout the day. And this matters to our emotional well being and everything else. We have found that missing a meal not only is probably the number one relapse trigger for all addictive disorders, but also sets us up for depression and anxiety and tearfulness Mm -hmm. and confusion and irritability and violence, all coming from low blood sugar. Because when blood sugar drops too low or too fast, Erin, adrenaline kicks in. Mm -hmm. Now, adrenaline can do good things for us, but adrenaline tends to bring some friends along. (laughs) We don't like so much, right? Yeah. Yeah. I had a, well, I've got two stories. Are you you up for two stories? Oh, I love it. Yeah. You just keep going. I'm I'm sitting here just just taking it all in. (laughs) (laughs) These are my two favorite stories. And if any of you've heard me speak before, you will have heard these stories. But, um, I had a gentleman I'd been seeing for about three months. He had a diagnosis of bipolar and he had a history of violence and being arrested for domestic violence Mm -hmm. behind mania, behind his bipolarness. Mm -hmm. And it had really seriously screwed up his life and his relationships and, and, and. And so he was in my office to try to put his life back together again. Well, I quickly told him about eating protein and he sort of jumped on that and got him on amino acids and we were doing therapy and everything was great for about three months. And as far as I was concerned, this guy was a teddy bear. 
Hmm. Sweetest, gentlest man in the world. I saw nothing of what he said his past had been full of. Until one day he walks in my office. He stomps into my office, actually, and throws himself into the sofa. And he has this rage pouring off him. His face is red and his, his um, hands are clenched and his body's all tight. And I like scoot my chair back a little bit because he's actually frightening. Mm. His energy for the first time in three months was frightening. And I said, um, have you had lunch today? It's two o'clock in the afternoon. And he goes into this really intense, angry rigmarole as to how he missed lunch. Wow. And it was this clerk and it was that clerk and it was the traffic on the freeway and, and, and. And so he stopped to take a breath and they said, let me feed you. So I went and got food because I'm one of these very strange psychotherapists who feeds their clients. And I defrosted a whole meal and gave it to him and I ate a little bit with him. Now he'd known me long enough that this wasn't strange behavior on my part. <laughs> and within 10 minutes before he'd even finished the meal, you could see his whole body relax. The rage just dissipate like the tide going out. His face regained its normal color. And he took a deep breath and he looked at me and he said, oh my God, I never used to eat. And I used to be that way all the time. Wow. He said, wow. I'm never, ever missing a meal again. Hmm. That's huge. Isn't that, that's enormous. Especially, I mean, for bipolar, when you're talking about mania, mm -hmm. it's real easy in a manic state to skip meals because life is good. You're flying high and why eat it slows you down. So exactly. that's a huge, huge habit to incorporate for everybody <laughs> to prevent yeah. issues. Yeah. Yeah. And this man, it was actually on mood stabling medication and it still happened. Wow. I believe that <laughs> because he missed a meal. He mm -hmm. was that sensitive. Wow. Other people. So some people go violent. Other people go really, really anxious. Mm. So I had a woman come in, sit down, look at me and say, you're number eight. I said, really? Eight, eight watt. But I kind of knew the answer. She said, well, I've had twice daily panic attacks for 10 years. I've been to four, four psychiatrists who put me onto medication, mm -hmm. which made me feel weird and sedated, but didn't stop the panic attacks. Been to three psychotherapists who helped me realize I wasn't going to die, but didn't stop them. So you're number eight. I said, well, good for you for not giving up. Yeah. I'm really glad. And what time of day are your panic attacks arising in late afternoon? Well, your arising one, does it go away when you eat breakfast? Um, yeah, now that I think about it, it does. Well, what about your late afternoon panic attack? Do you, do you eat lunch? No, I usually skip it. Do you have an afternoon snack? Oh, God, no, never. Say, oh, okay. So by the time your afternoon panic attack hits, you haven't eaten since breakfast. 
She said, yeah, I, I guess you're right. Well, what happens when you eat dinner? Does your afternoon panic attack go away? Yeah, I stay really, really panicky. And then, then it just kind of goes after dinner. Hmm. I said, here's the thing. You have most likely, I can't diagnose you, but you've got all the symptoms of reactive hypoglycemia, which means that when your blood sugar drops, it drops really low and adrenaline kicks in and adrenaline is giving you your panic attacks. Mm -hmm. So let me feed you right now. So you don't have your afternoon panic attacks sitting in my office. And um, here's what I want you to do and come back next week. So she calls me five days later, Aaron, ecstatic, cancels the appointment, says, I have not had one panic attack for the first time in 10 years since walking out of your office. Wow. Wow. And that's the first time anybody told her that that might be, might be helpful to try. That it might be helpful to try and that it matters. That mm -hmm. what we eat matters to our well-being. And the tragedy is that it took seven highly trained people before the eighth person actually could connect the dots. Yeah. Yeah, that is a tragedy. And this is why I do what I do and why I have my school, because I want more and more professionals out there, whether they be nutrition professionals, to understand that this impacts mental health as well as mental health professionals to know that, hey, people, you got to start asking your clients, when was the last time they ate protein? Yeah. Yeah, because there is a movement right now going away from meat, animal meat, mm -hmm. and moving more towards veganism, vegetarianism, and yeah. we're, they're making it seem as if that's going to be the solution for health issues. But I think that that's only increasing for many people, the processed carb load and, and things yes. like gluten, which is very problematic for a lot of people on a mental health level, which we could talk about that too. <laughs> but um, yeah, but the animal protein is, is, is important. Most people need animal protein it's really hard to get enough amino acids, number one, and secondly, enough of the ones that create your neurotransmitters. It's really hard to do that on a vegetarian and a vegan diet. Yeah. I'm not saying it's impossible, but you actually do have to supplement. Right. Yeah. Especially things like what tyrosine and mm -hmm. tryptophan, how, how do you get enough? <clears throat> Well, tyrosine, especially tryptophan, you can find in some vegetables. Okay. Tyrosine, not so much. Hmm. Tyrosine really almost always, well, not always, always, but if we were to look at a slide of tyrosine, we would see that three ounces of beef has around a thousand milligrams or a gram of tyrosine. And a cup of beans is something like 300 milligrams of tyrosine. <laughs> Oh, wow. That's a big difference. Okay. It's a huge difference. So it's not that there isn't any at all, yeah. but if your dopamine is deficient, if you have reward deficiency syndrome and genetically your uh, catecholamine system is really struggling, you need extra tyrosine to make up for it. Well, you're just not going to get it on a vegetarian or vegan diet. Right. It's not going to happen. Yeah. So you can buy over-the-counter supplements which I love using because um, these amino acids that you can buy over the counter, they actually have been shown to get into the brain and make new neurotransmitters within 20 minutes. I love that. 
we can, I can give somebody energy, focus, and drive in 20 minutes. I can turn off a craving for coffee or cocaine in 20 minutes using tyrosine. Really? Yeah. So you see the other thing, because addiction is about depleted neurotransmitters, therefore withdrawal symptoms and cravings are about depleted neurotransmitters too. We can reduce withdrawal symptoms and we can turn off a craving within 20 minutes using the right amino acid. Mm. And this is remarkable. These, these things are game changers, Erin. Mm -hmm. It is. Yeah. Now tell me what specific, you know, I know the different amino acids convert to different neurotransmitters in the brain. I guess I have two questions. Can they be, be used alongside of medication? And then which ones are useful for what? Okay. So the answer to your medication question is yes, no, and maybe. Okay. <laughs> okay. So where it gets really tricky is with serotonin and um, both MAO inhibitors or SSRIs, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, you know, things like Prozac or Zoloft. Because if you take too many serotonin supporting medication, say you're on two SSRIs and you add a migraine med and you add a certain antibiotic, you could end up in the emergency room with serotonin syndrome. Mm. Yeah. Like people who die from ecstasy overdose are pretty much dying from serotonin syndrome. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. So you can actually get too much. And this is why they say to never ever take a serotonin precursor like tryptophan or 5-HTP if you're on an MAO inhibitor or which allows for more serotonin or an SSRI. Well, this is true in theory and following this keeps people safe and we like safety. However, however, there is a however, <clears throat> um, if people have been on SSRIs, especially several of them for a really long time, they've essentially stopped working. And the reason why they've stopped working, and this is why actually you can't just cold turkey off an SSRI, because you go into serious withdrawal. Mm -hmm. So they actually are dependency forming, very powerfully dependency forming. Yes. The brain becomes dependent upon them. Um, well, one of the reasons for this is because the reservoirs in the brain of neurotransmitters are filled in two ways. One way is the brain just makes more out of the amino acids. But the other is there's a recycling system from the synapse where the brain actually takes unused neurotransmitter and puts it back into the swimming pool, mm -hmm. puts it back into the reservoir for storage. Well, if that reuptake system stops, which using a reuptake inhibitor stops that system, over time, your vesicles become depleted because they're only getting one source of supply, which tends not to be enough rather than two sources of supply. And so this is why over time you need to raise your dose of your SSRI or go on two or three or, 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 right? Mm -hmm. 
that's the time where you actually can bring in an amino acid, tryptophan or 5-HTP, six hours away, carefully, you start the little dose and then you build carefully because no, we don't want serotonin syndrome, but chances are most people aren't anywhere near that because they're so depleted. And they've actually done research that shows that when you add a precursor to Prozac, both work better. Yeah, I, I have read that research. It's fascinating. Most Isn't people it don't know that. Yeah, most people don't know that. So yes, you have to be careful, but it's not absolutely verboten. The problem does not occur so much with your SNRI medications, such as Wellbutrin, but your complex ones, Cymbalta, Effexor, you got to be, they're tricky. You just yeah, got to be careful. You got to work with somebody who knows what they're doing. So people who coaches who are trained in amino acid therapy can kind of walk you through that little minefield. But now if you're not on medication at all, the field's wide open. And that's a good first step for somebody, right? Instead of a medication that might take weeks, this is something that could, like you said, in a matter of 20 minutes, make a difference. Well, and this is what's so sad. People get stuck on some of these meds for decades because they got depressed after a breakup or they got depressed during finals week. They go, they need help. They go to the psychiatrist. The psychiatrist has no tools other than medication, puts them on an SSRI. Okay. They're on it for a couple months. They're stable. They've gotten through their stressor. They say, Oh, let me just go off it. I don't need it anymore. They cold turkey off it because they forget what the doctor said about not cold turkeying. They have withdrawal symptoms. And they say, oh, I guess I still need the medication. Not, oh, I'm in withdrawal. I came off it too fast. And some doctors try to taper their patients way too quickly off these meds. I agree. People go into withdrawal and the doctor says, oh, I guess you still need it. Well, no, they don't actually. They're in withdrawal. So very different from not, you know, from what caused it in the first place. So now they're on it for 20 years. Um, when really all they needed, okay, a breakup stressful, finals is stressful, you know, getting fired from your job is stressful. And under stress, and here's what a lot of people don't realize, Erin, is that when we're under stress, we use up our nutrients in great big gobs. We use up our neurotransmitters in great big gobs. That's their job to allow us to cope with the stress. So what we need to do is feed our brain more nutrients to keep up with the stress. Mm -hmm. Most of us either start moves to eating crap or just eat less rather than giving our brains what our brains actually need to cope with the increased stress. So you know, you just broke up from your boyfriend and you're miserable and you're crying and you think you're the worst person in the whole possible world and you can't get up and go to work, right? You take 100 milligrams of 5-HTP three times a day for the next couple of weeks and 20 minutes later, it's like, oh, I guess I'm not the worst possible person in the whole entire world. Maybe the second worst, <laughs> but not the worst, right? <laughs> And then you maybe add some D-phenylalanine to this to help with the grief and the loneliness to support the endorphin system. And people take a deep breath and say, okay, I guess I don't need to eat the whole pint of Rocky Road ice cream. 
maybe I can get away with just a couple of spoonfuls and let me get on with life because, oh, I guess now I can. So you've given your brain some purified food. It's stepped up. It's coping more effectively. After a couple of weeks, you've gotten through the crisis. You've calmed down. You don't need the extra purified food and you move on with life and you're not stuck on a medication for 30 years. Right. Or 18 years. In my case, I was on for 18 years. Yeah. It's a long time. That's, I mean, from an adolescent developing brain till early thirties. It's a really long time. And nobody taught you, told you, because they didn't know that there were other ways to support your brain chemistry and get it back into balance. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And you know, it's interesting. The last few years that I was on my SSRI, I noticed that my sugar cravings, my cravings for junk food increased dramatically. So can you explain why that would be the case? Yes. And that's because your SSRIs have stopped working. Your serotonin is now getting more and more depleted by them. And one of the symptoms of low serotonin is craving for sugar and junk food, especially in the later afternoon and evening. Yep. <laughs> because serotonin drops late afternoon and evening anyway. It also drops in the winter, all the times of low light. Um, and sugar actually, see, the brain is really, really smart. Doesn't always feel like it is, but it is because sugar raises insulin and insulin has the end result of driving more tryptophan across the blood brain barrier into the brain. And tryptophan is what the brain uses to make serotonin. So when serotonin is low, people crave more sugar to get that tryptophan into the brain. And we know this in a couple of ways, but one of the ways we know this is once you start giving that person 5-HTP or tryptophan to rebuild serotonin, lo and behold, the sugar cravings go away (laughs) because the brain now has enough serotonin. It doesn't need to drive should drive tryptophan across the uh, barrier anymore. Isn't that amazing? I just it's, find that remarkable. And it's, it's a, it's a beautiful design and it's protected, you know, like I even think about how, when we are stressed, we, like you said, we're utilizing everything we have on hand and that's how we were designed to for protection so that we can survive (laughs) so that we can can survive and survival unfortunately doesn't mean thriving Mm, that's a really good point yeah now we want to give our brains the nutrients it requires so we can thrive have energy have joy have focus and drive and motivation be able to relax be able to sleep be able to live fully And that's how our brains are designed to be. But you see all sorts of things can throw our brains off balance. Mm -hmm. And psychiatrists don't talk to us, don't ask about the things that could be throwing our brains off balance. They don't look for root causes. Um, They just wanna treat the symptom. Well, I'm happy to treat the symptom and because I wanna give you relief, but I'm going to do it with something that actually feeds the brain. And I'm then going to dig down and look for root causes. Is this genetic? Is this due to poor digestion? 
Is this due to hormone imbalance? Is this due to food intolerances, gluten or casein? Do we have inflammation going on? You know, there's a lot of talk about post-COVID. Mm-hmm. Well, the brain fog and the mental health issues of post-COVID, I am pretty convinced is due to neuroinflammation. I agree. We actually know what to do about neuroinflammation. And there's nutrients you can take to calm down the inflammation in the brain that work quickly and are really effective. Fish oil being one of them. Yeah. Oh yeah. Fish oil is great. Fish oil is wonderful. It's anti-inflammatory. It's antidepressant. I think it has one of the best antidepressant type nutrients in the world. And it works within three days. Yeah. Within three days, people who've been deficient in the omega-3s experience like the sun coming out, right? This brightness, brighter mood, brighter energy, brighter cognition, just better. Yeah. How can you support uh, I, women who struggle with PMS, who struggle with that mood? Because I, I speak to a lot of women who experience very dramatic mood changes before, yes. right before they start the period. What's a good support for that? Well, and I had one client who came to me because she was chronically relapsing. She was an alcoholic. She'd been through three treatment programs. She was in an outpatient program now and could not stop drinking. And so I got her on the protein every four hours. I got her on the amino acids. We did a lot of good work. She dramatically cut down on her drinking, but she was still periodically getting drunk. And so we tracked it on her calendar and it turned out, Erin, that she was getting drunk the night before her bleeding started every single month. Oh, wow. Not two days before, not two days after, the night before. Wow. Well, I know what to do with that. So, you know, people sometimes, and I know I used to experience PMS, like this switch flipped, like Mm -hmm. one day was fine, or one minute I was fine. And the next minute I wasn't Mm -hmm. like, what just happened here? Um, So near the end of the cycle, a couple of things happen. Um, As estrogen drops, serotonin drops. As progesterone drops, because they both drop at the end of the cycle, GABA drops. Mm -hmm. So serotonin and GABA are responsible for us feeling mellow, relaxed, and able to flow with stress rather than the opposite. And both of these drop at the end of the cycle and blood sugar becomes more dysregulated. So you've now got blood sugar bouncing all over the place, which means you have adrenaline kicking in and bouncing all over the place. So not enough serotonin, not enough GABA and too much adrenaline. What happens? Well, usually it's a recipe for disaster. Most women, when we relapse or have a slip, we do it premenstrually. Mm. Most women, when we get arrested, we get arrested premenstrually. (laughs) Um, They've done studies in England with women who shoplift. Mm. And they get arrested for shoplifting more frequently premenstrually than at any other time in the month. That is fascinating. Okay, so it's a high risk time for all sorts of things. 
Yeah, for sure. <laughs> so by the way, is menopause. <clears throat> but so what can we do? Well, we stabilize blood sugar by bringing in protein every three hours as opposed to every four hours. Okay. And by using the amino acid glutamine between meals mm -hmm. to feed the prefrontal cortex, turn off that adrenaline response. Um, and then we bring in GABA support and serotonin support. So serotonin support using 5-HTP or tryptophan. So if you're taking some during the month already, you just double it premenstrually. If you don't need it during the two months, the two weeks, you know, of the first half of your cycle, then you just use it for the, you know, one or 10 days or whatever premenstrually. And then you bring in GABA support as needed too. So you can bring in GABA or a GABA formula. They've got some really nice chewable GABA formulas out mm -hmm. there that taste good. You can use theanine. And all of these things just take the edge off and are so useful. Yeah, I love that. I, I am a big fan. GABA within the last couple of years, it's just that. I've, my family's gone through a big move, big transition. And I joke that I have lived off of GABA and the Psalms for the last couple of years <laughs> <laughs> because it really does go. take the edge off. It's, um, it really know, does within 20 minutes, within 20 minutes. Yes. Yeah. And then it lasts for three or four hours. Mm -hmm. And once you've rebuilt your system, then you don't need it anymore and you can maintain it with food. Right. And there's no dependency, which is right. so important for, because a lot of people that do have addiction past like, Ooh, can I take this? Am I going to get hooked on it? But no, exactly. it's, it's out this of your feels system. way too good. Right. Right. Um, the fact is, is that it's anti-addictive. Yeah. Because it's rebuilding your neurotransmitter systems rather than depleting them. This means that over time you can take less and less to get the same effect rather than more and more. Yeah. Yeah, which is amazing in today's world where more people are being prescribed medication than ever before for anxiety and depression and, and all of that. So tell me, what are some, um, you know, you mentioned protein every few hours. Some people might be thinking, oh, I don't know how to do that. I don't like protein enough. What, are, what would you suggest to somebody getting started? What does protein look like for you? So a friend of mine just got a job as a chef in an addiction treatment program. And it's the clinical director like sugar, the staff like sugar. So they're pretty, they're really resistant to the idea of lowering sugar, which is mm. sad because so many people switch addiction to sugar in Absolutely. abstinence, which is just tragic. So you don't understand what's going on. Um, so he's coming in sideways and he just sent me a photograph of He's offering mid-morning and mid-afternoon protein hors d'oeuvres. And he showed me this little tray of sliced cucumber. It's the most beautiful thing in the world, Erin. <laughs> so there were sliced cucumber with um, a teaspoon of hummus mm. on top of each one. Then there was um, little... Uh, you know, your celery sticks with your unsweetened peanut butter or mm -hmm. almond butter. Then there were little scoops, I think of, um, I'm not quite sure what they were, with like taco, taco meat in it. Mm. 
mm-hmm. you know, just these little bite-sized things that were so cute and so easy yep. and so fun and so elegant, but got the protein in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, there's lots of ways to do it. Um, there's some decent protein shakes out there and protein bars. We don't want you living on them, but right. for snacks here and there. Um, your bean dips, your nuts. Some people love handfuls of, of mixed nuts. That really works for them. Um, some people do okay with milk. And so having the little cups of Greek yogurt, unsweetened Greek yogurt, Mm-hmm. with maybe some unsweetened applesauce and um, some walnuts, having mozzarella cheese sticks, having chicken wings, or, you know, cold sliced meat or, or chicken that you can maybe dip into a little sauce mm-hmm. and snack on, um, good quality deli meat. You know, even Oscar Mayer now has a natural deli meat with no yeah. crap added. Right. <laughs> so you just roll a couple of those up um, with, with lettuce and it's a fun snack and you can get your protein in that way. You can have leftover dinner. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, I keep, I happen to like baby shrimp. So I'll keep frozen, um, baby shrimp in my freezer and I'll pour out just a little serving of those and some peas, defrost them in the microwave, add some soy sauce, I have this wonderful snack or I can put it on a salad or I can have it for breakfast, right? Takes less than five minutes to fix. Yeah. Oh, those are all wonderful. And even for kids, those are really good ideas. I know for, like I mentioned before, my youngest, especially it really benefits from protein. I switched his um, breakfast to Greek yogurt. My other child likes putting peanut butter in there because, you know, kids these days, they get hooked on these bars and the cereal and the, but that's just a blood sugar disaster waiting to happen. It, it really, really truly is. One of the things you can do to offset it. I mean, we want all of our cereals and breakfast foods and every other food to be very low sugar, but even like oatmeal, mm-hmm. You can add a good quality protein powder to your oatmeal. And now it's a high protein food. I love that. Yes, that's good. Now, what do you feel about collagen? Because I know collagen is, is, you know, having a moment, but it's not a complete protein. It's not a complete protein. And for some people, it creates too much glutamate. Okay, interesting. And glutamate can be excitatory. Yes. Some people are okay with it, other people not so much. And after being on collagen for a while, they can actually feel worse just because they've overloaded their glutamate system. Now, adding some B6 and zinc to that can help because Mm -hmm. then you're helping glutamate convert into GABA and that's a good thing. Yeah, because those those have got to be in balance, the GABA and the glutamate, right? There's a dance there. Glutamate turns into GABA if you have enough zinc and B6. Okay. But some people are really deficient in zinc and B6. And pubescent boys are particularly deficient in zinc because their bodies are grabbing all the zinc they can find to make certain body parts. Yeah, that makes sense. And to make testosterone, hmm. right? So they're their testes are growing, their penises are growing, their testosterone's growing, right? All around those, you know, couple of years where a lot of young boys go off the deep end. 
Well, yeah. one of the reasons is because they get zinc deficient. Their body's mm. pouring all their zinc. They're not getting enough in their food. Their body's pouring all of it into puberty. And there's not enough left over to go into the brain and make your neurotransmitters. Yeah. Zinc is required to make serotonin, which is calming. Mm-hmm. One of the symptoms of low serotonin is rigidity, anger, and anxiety. Yeah. Zinc is required to make GABA. Low GABA is tension and anxiety. And both of them, if they're low, you have trouble sleeping. Mm-hmm. And so now you're off and running in this downward spiral. Yeah. Yeah. So it's even more important for our kids, especially in those developmental developmental years to that we are making sure that they're feeding their brains because no, I mean, it is so easy to get hooked on the processed stuff these days. And you've got friends that are getting their moms to deliver the fast food lunches and my kids are stuck. Or you're buying it in your cafeteria. Well, that, oh, and that too. Yeah. And especially I think with the pandemic, we saw more people are, I mean, restaurants make it so easy now to, we don't have to make anything. They'll deliver it to us, you know? And so, yeah, you bring up so many good points. Oh gosh, I could go ask you so many more questions. Um, I guess the last thing I I will ask is how, how do we know what amino acid we are deficient in, or we might possibly be deficient in? So I have this handy dandy little assessment tool that we call the amino acid therapy chart because we ask deficiency symptoms are. So we know what these symptoms are. So we use this questionnaire that just asks you in a scale of one to 10 or zero to 10, you know, your, your anxious, agitated depression, your obsessiveness, your fatigue, your, you know, muscle tension, your grieving, you know, and you rate yourself And then we can, you know, depending upon where the clusters of high numbers are. Now, if you're really protein deficient, Aaron, you're going to have high numbers across the board. Really interesting. Mm. But say you only have high numbers in the serotonin section. That means that's where you bring in your 5-HTP or tryptophan. We're offering this as a free tool. So I don't think it's quite up on my website yet. But if you email me, you can get your free trial digital amino acid therapy chart um the book the mood cure by julia ross or the craving cure by julia ross Mm -hmm. has little questionnaires in it um, that are variations on the theme Um, and you can use that to tell you what you're deficient in or you work with one of my coaches or myself and uh, probably you as well (laughs) <laughs> right. <laughs> and I'm sorry, of low neurotransmitters. Yeah. I can ask you five questions and I can tell you what amino you need. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and it's so important. It's so empowering. I will say it's important to find out, but it's also empowering to go, Oh, wait, I, I can, I can change this. I'm not stuck with I'm these symptoms. St- but I can change this myself. Mm. I don't need a doctor. I don't need to be tied to medication necessarily right. for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to say there's no place for medication because there is. Mm-hmm. But let's feed the brain what it needs first. And then let's see what's left over. 
Absolutely. That I'm all about that. So what, where, what is your website? Where can people find you and find out more about your program, even the coaching program, all of that? Okay. So two websites. The first one is www.aminoacidtherapy.com. Really easy to remember. Aminoacidtherapy.com. So that's my school. And there's a page there, there's a coaching directory there with all of my certified coaches. So you can find a coach from that page and lots of information there, lots of resources. We even have a scientific research library on that website. Awesome. With lots of research articles. That's great. And then the other one is um, the nonprofit that you were mentioning earlier. And that is very simple, eatingproteinsaveslives.org. Great. And, and on I'm, there is a resource library with any donation you get access to, and it gives you all sorts of hints, uh, all sorts of uh, helps you find ways to integrate protein into your diet. I love that. Now, the last question, I, I said it was the last question before, but this really is the last question. The name of the show is Sparking Wholeness. And I love asking this. If you could give one piece of advice to spark someone toward wholeness, what would it be? You can do it. You can do it. You've been there, Aaron. I've been there. I've been there, you know, wailing on the floor of my living room, thinking there was no hope for me whatsoever, ever. And yet here I am and here you are. Absolutely. Yeah. So don't give up, use all your tools, keep praying, keep taking, doing the next good thing and the whole world will open up. I agree. Thank you so much for sharing your, your knowledge, your, your passion. And it was super inspirational. And um, I want to be you when I grow up. I I love it. I mean, you're, you're helping so many people. And I think that that's, I mean, it's, it's not always rewarding in the moment, you know, but um, I think it, it truly is. There's no, no greater thing. So thank you so much for being on the show. You're welcome, Erin. It's been lovely and lovely getting to know you as well. The tiniest spark leads to the biggest blaze. And I hope that today's episode sparks you on a journey to healing and wholeness. Thanks for listening to Sparking Wholeness. For more information on what I do and my coaching programs, or maybe just to reach out and say, hey, find me at sparkingwholeness.com or on Instagram at sparkingwholeness. Have a fabulous week.